When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to our first episode of All In on Offense in 2021. We've had a a strange season and a a lot of people who have been in season, so we didn't get into these now till you know, we've hit May, June, and July. So we're excited to bring this series back and talk about some specific details of certain aspects of the game. And uh, we always like to look for some cool stuff to talk about. And one thing I've seen and, you know, been looking at it for years, uh, Stanford did it first, but uh, Mike Bloomgren moved on to become the head coach at Rice. So now this is something that Rice is doing. And, you know, in a previous podcast we did a, a couple weeks ago with Sanders Davis, we mentioned some of this. And so he's back today, Sanders Davis, offensive line coach at Rice, to talk to us about SYGL, their short yardage goal line package. So, Coach, it's great to have you back here. Coach, I really appreciate it, man. It's, uh, you know, I really had a, uh, I've been a longtime listener, you know, of your podcast, and it was really fun to be on it a couple weeks ago. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed that. And, I, I, man, I appreciate you having me back. That's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, as I said, you know, always looking for cool stuff and unique stuff and, and really understanding you know, why are they doing that? That's a little bit different. And so, um, you know, that really stood out for me. You know, again, the, the Mike Bloomgren days uh, at Stanford where I started to see some of this stuff. And as I mentioned, you guys have now continued on at Rice. But the, the short yardage goal line package, uh, at least in, in this era of football, is, is something different than I've seen anywhere, and it continues to be very unique uh, to what you guys do. So, uh, I guess first of all, for our listeners who ha- maybe haven't seen it, could you give us just an overview or a description of what exactly this looks like? Yeah, uh, and I, I'm just like you. You know, when I was I was a high school coach in Louisiana before I got here, and uh, you know, it was on Twitter one day that I saw this picture of these bizarre stances and this bizarre formation, you know, really heavy set. Uh, it seemed like everybody was packed in about, you know, about five yard space. And I was really intrigued by it. You know, I had been studying coach Bloomgren's work for a long time. Uh, absolutely loved it. Uh, loved his motto of intellectual brutality, uh, which has become our motto here at Rice. 
And uh, I saw it and I just wanted to know more about it. And, uh, you know, I started kind of tinkering with it on my own, uh, trying to, you know, make it make sense. And, you know, now I'm, I'm here at Rice and I get to, I really get to learn all the intricacies of it. And it's been a lot of fun because uh, it is really unique. And so as you look at it, you know, I mean, it is this tight pack formation. We have several different formations, but our splits will be six inches. Everybody's in a really low, tight four-point stance, you know, and so, of course, in response, the defense will pack all their guys right into that little amount of space. And so, I mean, it looks like a plate of spaghetti in there, but it's uh, it's definitely um, it's definitely unique, and it's definitely easy to recognize once you uh, once you get a, a feel for it. And so, we're going to dig into some of these things today, and uh, as you said, some of those unique stances, right? A lot of people out there again giving you the visual. Um, you know, I think a lot of it stems from what the defense would do, these, these root hog uh, types of stances, right? And, and you, you see these from time to time. I don't think everybody uses them anymore. It used to be widespread. You get down on the goal line and you see these guys with their chins about four inches from the ground and, you know, the old saying, root hog or die, right? Uh, but that's kind of, of what this looks like um, in in – understanding this and I know you've been able to get into a little bit of how this developed you know why do you guys like doing this what's the why behind this so you know I think the biggest thing is is standing coach Bloomberg's thought process and you know he he did spend a lot of time in the NFL uh, and I think a a big part of this was developed in the NFL uh, you know in his time with with coach Callahan uh, but the biggest thing is, is it's all about situational football. And so he's, he's incredibly, um, it's, a, it's a point of emphasis for him to separate the game into different sections of, of, of play, right? So most of us do that when we talk about the red zone. Most of us do that when we talk about our third down plan or our first and second down plan. Uh, but this is something that we feel is really unique in what we do in, in that short yardage and goal line. Um, you know, it's kind of our own part of the game that we plan out. And, and it's really neat to see because, you know, I mean, these are really critical situations, right? When you talk about short yardage and goal line, it, it's an opportunity to get another set of downs or maybe it's an opportunity to score points. And so it's something that we take a lot of pride in. It's something that we excel at. Um, and, it, and it's a huge curveball for defenses in a really critical situation, right? It's, it's like you said, it's not something that you see anymore. You don't see 23 personnel. You don't see – 32 personnel you don't see these big heavy set formations with guys uh with extra linemen and tight ends and fullbacks and you know people don't see it and so what we end up doing I mean we're introducing a lot of stress and a lot of confusion to a defense and arguably one of the most critical situations in the game and so we find that it gives us a really nice edge um you know because because people aren't used to it and it takes a certain type of person to do this stuff now too I mean you have got a wall a mass of human you know, coming right at you. And, and if you really want to stop it, you've got to be all in to stop it. And so I think the game is trending away towards that mentality in a way, in the sense that, you know, we're really, we're spreading the ball out more. We're, we're, we're getting a lot, um, you know, a lot fewer tight ends, no more fullbacks. And, and it's in that. I'm not saying that that's not, uh, that's not a great way to do things, but I do think it is, it, it causes what we do to be more unique and it causes defenses to be a little bit more off balance whenever we get into those uh, personnel sets and that mentality. And, you know, our goal is to convert a hundred percent of the time that we get in it. That really is, that's truly our expectation is every time we're in a short yardage goal line situation, we will convert 
because it is what we do. And we're getting there at Rice. I think right now uh, we're at we're at like 86% conversion, which is which is pretty good. But it, and it's not our standard uh, for what we want. And so I, I think that's the, that's the biggest why behind it. So getting into it and just looking at how you game plan these types of things, uh, you, you know, you made the point that you don't see this uh, that often. So sometimes if you ha- if you're facing an opponent who hasn't seen this before, uh, it's difficult to figure out what might they do on tape. So how do you account for that, and what goes into some of the things that you're looking for in a game plan and putting together this? situational attack yeah that's a really good question I think um you know the first thing that we do you know is we look at who is the defensive coordinator right what's his thumbprint what does he like to do um you know you can't always figure out what they're going to do in these situations you know because there's not a lot of tape so we might look at what they do versus teams in 12 personnel or 21 personnel you know heavier sets and you know, typically that defensive coordinator is going to fall back on what he's comfortable with. So, you know, if they get into a lot of like, for example, bear, or they bring a particular pressure in those situations, well, then we need to account for that in our game plan. And so there's connecting the dots. There's a lot of putting that puzzle together. Um, And again, like we probably won't have tape of exactly what we're after. And so, you know, we, we do, we have a coach who's assigned to, creating that game plan and, and that's a big part of his week is going through the tape and kind of figuring out exactly what that is going to look like what is the best way to attack it what are the options you know if they're they're going to do three or four different things and we need to have three or four different answers and a lot of times what you'll see is you'll see really bizarre fronts you'll see you know guys in, in every gap or you'll see guys in the a's and the a's and the c's with edge pressure coming you know i mean there's a lot of variety in what we see but, you know, again, like I said, we spend a lot of time on this stuff and, and, and our guys have a really, really good comfort level with it to where there's really nothing that you can do that's going to surprise us, um, you know, but they do have the answers for the varieties of fronts that we're going to see. And we do try our best to put them in, in really good situations to be successful. And one of the ways that we do that is we, we allow the quarterback to make decisions at the line of scrimmage. So we can go into a play with three or four different options for that quarterback to call once he gets there. And we'll do that based on a lot of different things from the week. It could be the front. It could be coverage. It could be personnel, right? There might be a particular person we want to run at. There could be a particular person we want to run away from. Uh, where's that extra hat? You know, where's that thing going to fit? And those are all different things that we might account for in any given week. And, you know, we have certain plays that can be specified, right? Like if they do this, this is what we want to run. But then we have a couple other plays where it front we see like we feel comfortable running that play against really any front and so we might try to say hey let's let's go to the line of scrimmage with the ideal run and then if we get something that's crazy bizarre doesn't make sense well then we can get to one of our you know tried and true um you know tried and true runs that's resilient against anything and so you know there is a lot of trying to put the puzzle together um again because it's unique you never know what you're going to see but there's a big a big part of it that is it's going to be contingent on that defensive coordinator's thumbprint. So in looking at at this and in installing uh, this package, the game plan, really getting that quarterback ready to be able to make those decisions at the line of cr- scrimmage uh, and, and um, be very accurate with them. Uh, when does this go in? 
how soon into a, a, a camp are you starting to work these things in, especially from the quarterback perspective, a lot laying in his hands, uh, the training that he starts within this situation? Yeah, so we do put it in in spring. Uh, we install it. You know, we get we get them used to it. Uh, you know, I think a big part of the coaching of it is trying to simplify it enough to where, again, like sometimes you can look at it and it looks like a big plate of spaghetti, and you've got to be, you have to be um, flexible enough for that guy to to give him a set of criteria or a set of rules that is not overly specific, right? Because very rarely will you see something twice. Very rarely will you see exactly what you plan for. And so those, you know, getting him comfortable with that throughout spring, throughout summer, throughout fall camp is really important. Again, we spend a good bit of time, a great chunk of time on it because critical these situations are. And again, like, again, more downs, scoring, scoring a touchdown versus kicking a field goal. You know, that's, that's a huge momentum swing in a game. And so uh, I think that the key to it is within the framework of the plays that you want to run and, and within the framework of your offense, giving him criteria that are flexible enough for him to get to, you know, what you would consider the ideal run. And what would you consider, uh, you know, again, without getting into the, the exact plays, the number of, of plays that you can carry here, both from that initial, here's, here's our install, our, our base part of this that we have to have, as well as into some wrinkles that start to come in. Yeah. So we have, we have, there's about eight runs total that we'll use, um, and I would say six of them, six of them are pretty regular for us. We'll probably bring those into every game plan just because, because we can run them in our sleep. You know, again, the preparation that goes into it. So, I mean, of course, like if you have any, if you watch us, like there are going to be plays that we run, right? Power. We're going to run power out of short yardage and goal line. So, like that's no secret for us. You know, so that that goes in every game plan. Um, lead dive, right? A dive play that goes in on every game plan. And so, you know, some of those plays I think are, you know, those are, those are day one plays that we can run against anything. Uh, but then, like you said, maybe if we do have some film of a, or we do have a really good feel for what that coordinator is going to do, then we go into the, you know, the more designer play, the specialized play uh, that we feel that if we happen to get that front, we'll run that play because it'll be really advantageous. And if not, Hey, great, no big deal. We can get to something else like power and, and block it in our sleep. When you look at getting into the season um, and, and again, Tom being limited, right? We, we can't sp- spend forever on things uh, with whatever it might be group time or team time, right? We'll, we'll talk about some individual things in a minute, but group time or team time, uh, how much do you get for this package over the course of the weekend? You know, what days for you guys are, are the optimal days to practice it? Yep. So we put it in, um, put it in on Wednesday. We put the plan in on Wednesday um, with the guys and, you know, as coaches, we meet about it and talk through it before, obviously. Um, you know, we work really hard to make sure that we can simplify it. We make hard, we, we work hard to make sure that it's not over the top, you know, complicated or a lot of different options or, or looks that we'll have to run into. Um, you know, we work hard to make it easier for those guys. And uh, so it doesn't take as much time, but we will, you know, we'll work the techniques in Indy once a week. Uh, you know, the critical, the critical techniques or any wrinkles that are going in for that week, we'll work those in Indy. Uh, and so, 
you know, give based on the time of year, you know, for the first couple of weeks, we'll do it in practice, you know, against scout guys. And then as time goes on and guys are comfortable, we're comfortable with our positions. And, you know, again, we're, we've been at this for a good while here. You know, they're really, I mean, they're really, really starting to understand what we're looking for. And, it, and, and at that point, it kind of becomes more of a, you know, a very engaged walkthrough type thing. Um, and if we ever feel that we're losing our edge in it, then we'll have to start, you know, doing it again in, in practice, you know, doing the, doing the reps in practice. But, um, you know, we don't beat the guys up over it. It's not something, you know, it, it is an intense part of the game, but we do, we do work really hard to make sure that they understand it, but not to the point where we're, we're beating them up. Yeah, that's, that was kind of my next question on um, this being a very, very physical uh, type of, of play. Um, in general, type of play down here on the goal line, um, you, you certainly probably look to work it a little bit earlier in the week, but also then, you know, how much, especially because of the technique, right? Um, everybody's low. Uh, there's the legs involved, right, as far as where some of these blocks are getting into. And you want to protect the team. You want to protect your players. You certainly don't want to beat anybody up. And it's not that this is intentionally designed uh, to to do that against an opponent either, but the you know the risk obviously become involved in it. So if I, if I understand right, you guys you know pretty physical up front camp spring, and then it tapers off to the point where you guys feel you can can do this in more of walk type walk through type periods. Exactly. Yep. Again, you know, trying to stay staying healthy. Uh, we're very we are very scientific I think is the appropriate word in these techniques um, and making sure that these guys are executing them in a safe way um, you know not only for us but for the people that we're playing against and you know that's a that's a big part of of the coaching of it you know is making sure that you're doing it the right way for safety and uh, and like you said we do we do taper it off after we get out of the the um, you know the more critical you know after we get out of sort of the earlier part of the year we'll start tapering it off and and so you mentioned that it is scientific in the way that you do the technique it's to me one of those things that comes with a, a disclaimer do not try this at home um you need to understand it right and it's easy to to take a look at some of the things you might see online the cut-ups and and all right well these guys are just firing out low and hard but that would be an oversimplification of exactly what you guys are, are doing down here so let's dig into uh, this a little bit and and start with something very simple like the stance right so so your stance is in in some of these situations and some of these plays you guys start to adjust from a typical stance talk us through the stance portion of this yeah absolutely so um you know the first thing that we'll do is we'll tighten our splits down to, to six inches um you know really reduce the space between each guy, uh, we only have a yard to go, right? And so, um, you know, we don't need this big, we don't need this really wide, uh, you know, typically you'll get into your stances to create some width to protect yourself off the edges. And we don't do that because the ball gets so downhill so fast, it gets into the line so fast that, you know, we really aren't too, too concerned about having those splits be really wide. And so we do reduce them down to, to six inches. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll just kind of go from the ground up um, talking about our feet. So we want our feet to be underneath our hips and, and they're tight, right? They're not, they're not wide like your normal stance. They're going to be tighter, like almost like you're in a sprinter's block. 
And um, we don't take steps out of these stances. So we don't, our initial movement is not to step. Our initial movement is to what we call uncoil. So we're just, it's really like a power clean, activating your hip through to create that separation at the line of scrimmage. Again, we don't need a five yard drive block. We need one yard. And so if we can displace that guy by extending our body, then we really created the space that we need to already. And so our feet are going to be a little tighter. They're going to be about hip to shoulder width apart and they're going to be loaded right under our hips. And then we're going to take our hands and we're going to walk them back towards our feet so that I'm incredibly compressed. Like I'm, I, my body is it's almost like a spring so that if I pick those hands up, my body's going to naturally uncoil or naturally fire out even without taking a step. And so we'll walk them back and we'll try to take all the line of scrimmage. And so what we'll do is we'll turn our, we'll even turn our hands sideways again, like in a sprinter's block. And they will be right on the tip of the ball. And so we're not across the ball, but we are, I mean, we're loaded. I mean, we are right up on the edge of it, on the back tip of it. Um, again, like coiled up like a spring. And so then from there, there are a couple things that you might want to, you know, change, especially like for high school coaches, right? We, we tell our guys to get up on their fingertips again, trying to create a little bit more load in that body. But, you know, younger guys, they're and even freshmen with us, their weight, they can't support their weight on those fingertips. And so they might have to flatten that hand out a little bit. And that's okay. That's not the end of the world. Um, but it will allow them some stability. And then we want to tuck our elbows into our lats. That'll help with stability. It'll also help make sure that our body is moving forward. Um, you know, some guys have to assume some of that weight in on their elbows almost. And so helps pick them up off the ground a little bit. And then we do want to get really low to the ground, but we don't want to get so low to the ground that we're going to like fire off into the ground. We want to still be able to, to, to explode out, not down into the ground. And so uh, we do, we do kind of crouch down into that stance with our, we bend our elbows a little bit um, to, to create that lower pad level. But again, making sure that your butt is not above your upper body because if your butt is above your lower body then you are firing straight down into the ground and so we don't want to do that like you had mentioned earlier we don't want to fire out underneath the defender where he can kind of put us down into the ground and then make a play in the backfield right so we want to create that that forward expansion more so than just trying to sell out to get underneath him uh if that makes sense absolutely yes it does so uh some very good coaching points there as far as you know, the relationship of, of the upper body, the shoulders to the hips, etc. cetera. Uh, are there any keys as you're trying, especially with your, your younger linemen coming into this? I would, I would uh, think it's safe to assume most of them are not familiar with this technique at all. Uh, so in some of the coaching points, in, in getting them to feel exactly where, like, you know, a uh, what does that feel like for them? What are some of those coaching cues you're able to give, especially to the young guys, to get them into that optimal position? Yeah, I mean, it takes it takes a lot of work. Um, you know, it is when we install it, it's something that, that uh, you know, it's not a cookie-cutter thing. Every guy's built a little bit different, right? Guys that have stiffer hips are going to have a little bit more trouble. Guys that can't bend their legs as much are going to have a little trouble. Um, so it is kind of about finding that niche for that particular guy. Uh, as you get into these stances, but you know, a big part of it is you, you, we can start it and we'll start these stances like on a line. Right. And so you'll tell them to, to have their toes behind the line 
but try to walk their hands back into a point where they are behind the line. And so like that'll help get the feel for kind of the compression that you need to generate uh, in that initial stance. And then the other thing is, is you'll ask them, hey, pick your hands up and see what happens. And so if they pick their hands up and they go down, well, then their stance is a little off, right? Again, butt is probably above shoulders. But if they pick those hands up and they go out, well, now, you know, there's the feedback that you want to make sure that they're loading their body the right way um, as they get into those stances. Some other little things that we'll ask them to do, we ask them to look out the top of their face mask, right? So, again, you're low, but you do need to be able to see your target. You're going to have to be looking up more so through the top of your face mask than looking straight out. Um, but we do make contact, you know, with our, you know, with, with our hands and our face. We don't use like the top, you know, I think if you watch younger guys do it, they might dip their head down and we all know that you don't want to do that. And so uh, that's another thing that we have to make sure that those younger guys understand again, for safety. So when we look at any type of block on the line, line of scrimmage, you, know, you covered a little bit about, we're not going to take uh, footwork here, right? There's there's more of that surge, that uncoil that you're utilizing. Uh, but you mentioned here the hands uh, and the targets. So what are the, the targets on the defender that you're looking at in order to get these guys again into some of these optimal positions in order to win these blocks? Yeah, so your your targets really aren't going to be too much different than what they would be on a normal run play, right? Like if you talk to most O-line coaches, you're aiming for the V of the neck, right? You're aiming for the sternum. You're aiming for the, their shoulder with your shoulder, you know, if it's a particular double team like we use on power. And so, um, you know, the targets don't change all that much, but the way we get there does change, right? So, so uh, like on the front side of lead dive, right, or, you know, the, the spread uh, – version of that the front side of it would really just be inside zone right so the front side of inside zone a lot of people want to take an inside half target and that's what we do on the front side of lead dive we want to attack the near via the neck to create that and and like i mentioned earlier it is it is almost like a power clean it is all about uncoiling engaging those hips to, to create that initial separation and then after they've made contact through that hip extension then they run their feet and so, you know, one of the things that we'll do, like we'll do this on air first, right? And so we'll be on air. They'll all, uh, you know, I have five or six guys. I'll give the cadence. They'll be in their stance. And it is, it is explode out of that stance, uncoil that hip, get as far as you can go without stepping, and then, get your, and then run your feet underneath you to kind of catch up. And so that's a good way for them to get the feel for getting that hip engagement. The next thing we might do is we might do the same thing, but on a sled, right? So now they're on, on like the crowler. And so now they'll uncoil that hip and then they'll start running to a point. It's almost like a bear crawl. It looks very similar to a bear crawl after that initial hip extension. But what should happen as they do it on that sled is they should, with that initial uncoil, create some separation. That sled should get knocked back a little bit. And then they've got to run those feet to try and catch up with that block, just like you would a defender if you are delivering the contact. And so that gets a good that that kind of supplements that feel for engaging the hip and then running the feet behind it to try and because like let's be honest this ain't going to be a really pretty you know uh, knees inside the ankles drive block kind of thing you know I mean it's not going to look like that it's going to it's 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 a uncoil the hip and then do what you can do is is the reality of of what we're trying to get with these guys so we literally tell them to run after they uncoil their feet. And so then the next progression, you know, in the, in the drill work would be to, um, 
you know, get them in a fit. So, like, one, two guys will interlock facing each other. Defender, one guy is the offensive player, and we'll tell him to – we'll tell the defender to, like, reach behind the guy's arm and, and grab his tricep, and that will create that, that uh, stability that you'll need when you're that low to the ground. And it'll help those guys stay up. And then from there, we'll just say – we'll give the cadence. He'll, he'll punch his hip through and then run his feet. So now he's doing it with the defender, getting the feel for that, that lift. And then actually the next thing we do is we'll use an offensive guy and put two defenders on him. So a little bit of an overtraining. He'll have one guy on each shoulder. Both guys will have their arms interlocked with his. And then he'll uncoil that hip through and run those feet. Uh, and it's just a lot harder when you do it with two guys. But what you find is it really forces that initial hip activation because you will not go anywhere if you don't get that initial hip activation, again, a lot, a lot like a power clean. Uh, I, I use, you know, I used to, I used to love coaching power cleans. I use that, that terminology, right? Triple extension, extend the hip. Uh, and it tends to hit their, their head really well because of their time in the weight room. And so that's kind of the general progression of how we work that get off. So uh, just reviewing a couple things in here and, and you started talking about this, is doing it on air, and I know when you got into the the sled phase, you mentioned this as a uh, it becomes more like a bear crawl. So in that in that initial phase, when you're teaching them to uncoil from this stance and they're going forward with obviously nothing in front of them, no resistance. Uh, whether you're doing this on air, you're doing it on a sled, you're doing it in game against a, a person who's moving. The last thing you want is your guy to end up on his belly. So is he, um, you know, exploding and kind of catching himself? on his on his hands when he's going against air and what are the coaching points here as as you're teaching him to get that feel for uh what the body feels like as you're uncoiling from uh from this compressed stance yeah so when we do it on air they'll they'll fire out and up so i kind of joke about what it looks like but it really does like if you've ever been out on like a river and you see a fish jump out of water and it's like at a 45 degree angle and then and it just kind of it, and then it falls back down. That is the initial get off. Should look like that fish jumping out of water, like exploding out up and at a, like a forty five degree angle. I want their bodies to be straight lined, right? Because if there there's some curvature in their hip, then they're not getting all that uncoil that we want. We want that hip to be straightened out. Like we want to fully uncoil that hip to generate that one yard of separation that we need when we're doing it live. And so they look like a straight line in the air. And then once they land, then they'll start running their feet. And so um, they don't ever, it's not a belly flop so much as it is, um, you know, and it's, and it's, it's a lot like six point explosion, right? Like, I'm sure you've done that. I'm sure you've done six point or four point explosion where, you know, you ask those guys from their stance or from that six point to fully uncoil that hip and then they fall on their belly. It's similar to that, but we don't fall on the belly, right? We, we, we extend it out, and then their feet are running up underneath them. So they will catch their sel- themselves with their feet, but I am looking for that full, you know, uh, sh- uh, top of the head to heel straight line as they uncoil on air. So I am sure that you guys have experienced some commonalities in the way that the defensive line or the defenders across from you are going to um, – act or react to these type of, of blocks as you guys are uncoiling. Uh, you know, some guys might take that approach that if we could get underneath you, then we might be able to stop your feet. And that, that, you know, is, is, you know, stopping the line of scrimmage from moving forward that yard. 
now you're in a chance to maybe fill that hole and win that play. Uh, then, of course, you know, if if uh, you can get that, that surge maybe coming forward too quickly where uh, there's nothing that guy can do if, if uh, he gets too low, you know, he can maybe use like a, a snap down in wrestling and that guy get over the top of him. So I'm sure those are two common things. But talk us through, I guess, the, the various techniques that the defense is going to use and how you guys counter those. Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, and, you know, I mean, again, like we're, we're damn near scientific with this thing. So, like, there are – we do have things that we evaluate. And so one of the things that we're always looking for, we always anticipate or expect inside movement. So we're always assuming that those guys are going to try to go inside, in which case our targets have to be really good, right? So we want our targets to be tight. Uh, if, we're, if we're supposed to be on the inside half of the defender – and he's really tight to me, then I better be going dang near straight vertical. And so I should never let a defender win inside. And that tends to be that we expect. The other thing that I think is really neat that we talk about is we ask our guys to evaluate shin angles of the defender. And so as the defender is in his stance, if his shins are straight up and down, biomechanically, how are you going to move? You're probably going to go up. And so in that case, those are guys that we expect that are going to play really tall. And so our target might be, we might go a little bit higher, but that also doesn't really scare us that much because we've got, you know, fullbacks that are going in that direction. Uh, you know, we just get our hands on him and keep crawling. He'll move backwards. And so that one doesn't really affect us that much, but we are aware of it, right? Because we could get hurdled. And so if that guy's shin angle is more vertical, uh, then we're going to go a little bit higher in our target uh, and anticipate that movement. Now, if his shin is really flat to the ground, what's he going to do? He's going to fire straight out. That's the way that his body is going to move based mm -hmm. on what he's doing with his stance. And so uh, that really does give us some information. If he's going to fire out low, great. Now, your next question was, what if they try to dig for worms, right? What if they try to go low? What's our answer going to be? And, uh, again, doesn't really scare us. We're going to fire out. We're going to, you know, uh, uncoil. We're going to be low. And if that guy digs for worms and gets underneath us, we typically will roll our shoulder over. Um, our, our off shoulder will roll on top of that defender. And we just do that to make sure he can't get back up. So I don't want to just like lay flat on him. I want to keep grinding my feet. I want to keep moving my feet. I might be able to a little bit more movement on him, create a little bit more room for that, that running back to get one more step into the ground. Uh, but if I start to roll my body over, that's going to allow me to keep moving those feet. Whereas if I'm on my belly, I'm not really going to be able to move or create that movement. So as we roll that shoulder, we're running our feet and we're trying to, to get it back on top of him so that he can't get back up off the ground. So I think those are kind of the three main, you know, instances that we see and how we evaluate that. So in looking at the various things you might do, you mentioned you do like power uh, in these situations, you know, who doesn't, but uh, are there any things you need to do to, to coach up that guy who's the polar, right? Um, you certainly don't want to yeah. give away things by putting him in a different stance. So how do you coach him through that? Yeah, it's really difficult is the short answer. Uh, it takes a special guy. And so like not every person can do it, you know, and, and, you know, we try to find two guys that can do it. Uh, and that might be what actually dictates whether who's the starter or not in that that you know particular week if we want to run power um and so we will give ourselves the ability to run it both ways but um you know it might not be our normal starting guard if he can't get out of that stance because you're exactly right like there should not be a tell and so he's got to be able to get out of that stance in that 
uh, get into that pool from that same stance. And so there are a couple of things that we talk about from the stance, like it's almost a push up. So now instead of uncoiling out, he's going to press off the ground with his hands and almost jump with his feet off the ground to just try and get his feet underneath them again. Like, we don't want to show a different stance. We can't show a different stance. And so he's got to press himself off the ground. He's got to be really explosive. One of our guys, one of our better guys who did it last year, he was not a starter for us, but he did start on that because he was so good at pulling uh, from that stance. And so he, he jumps out of it, you know, and you're not going to get as far back as you normally would on a pull, right? So we're a skip pull team. We get, we get, uh, we usually get some good depth from the line of scrimmage. Uh, but you're almost going along the heel line of the of the O line as you go through, and then the question's always where do you insert? And we kind of say we we're going to play the piano along the backside of the O lineman. So you're just kind of like you're kind of feeling your way across until you find that that point where you can insert, and you're you're putting the ground. We call it the stick step, and you're going to fire out like a damn rocket to try and and take out create uh, some expansion on whatever that edge defender is, and so. A lot of times, you know, when we run regular power, uh, there is a person that we're pulling for. And when we run it out of short yardage goal line, it's really about inserting into the space and just taking out the first thing that shows. So it is a little bit different in that regard. But you're right, we, we, we don't want to tell it. And so that can it can be difficult. Now, when I was a high school coach, I didn't quite think that far. And I let that guy, you know, he got to alter his stance a little bit. He got to create some stagger in his feet. Uh, I don't know if people really realized it or not. Um, you know, but it it was it was different. We also in high school didn't share uh, end zone film, so I mean it was pretty easy mm-hmm. to not see that. You know, yeah. as as you as that film went around, so it really depends on who what you do is is you know what what film you share, and um that that to me would increase the the need to you know keep it the same versus change it. You know, we never had any problems with it when I was a high school coach, so. Uh, we would have problems with it at this level, though, if we had to tell that would be like that. So in, in just thinking of that power again, and you saying that sometimes this looks like a plate of spaghetti, everything's just packed in there tight, uh, you know, a typical power play, um, at least when we would teach it, we always talk to that guy about a kickout block. We, we want to kick him out of that out of that gap we're running to. Uh, and that, you know, is going to be a level two guy. When you get into this situation, again, things packed in tight, as you mentioned, he's playing the piano, feeling his way to that, that opening to insert. Uh, is he thinking anything about level one as he's going through there? Is, is, does he want to, uh, you know, we never want our guys really to, to have to think about that on a normal power play, um, but is he thinking level one to two? Is he going through looking for kicking out two? What's, what's his approach in, uh, you know, the decision he's making as he moves? Yeah, I think uh, I think the first thing to revisit is what we talked about last time. You know, we practice skip pulling a, a lot. We practice it every day. And so they have a really good feel for staying tight to double teams, and that's exactly what we ask them to do on this one. Uh, but he's not as deep, so it's a little less visual and a little more feel. You know, he's got to kind of feel his way through there, again, playing the piano along the heel line. Uh, if color shows, he will take a first-level defender, right? So if, if, if we happen to miss on a block or there's an add-in or – um, you know, we didn't really account for some, uh, you know, there was an error at the line of scrimmage. He's going to take the first color that he sees. Uh, but typically we would expect him to, um, you know, make that block on the second level or as he's climbing to the second or third level, depending on how well the other double teams go. 
So you bring up double teams and combo blocks, which was going to be my next question. Um, the effectiveness of, of teaching the combos from this position, as well as how do you teach the combos from this position? Yeah, so you're ob- again, like these aren't going to be really nice, pretty combo blocks like we talk- talked about. Like, it, and when you talk about, you know, normal down and distance, right? I mean, we, 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 like on power, for example, like we talked about, I mean, it's a, it's a really nice double team in our normal, in our normal situations. But when you get into this, it's not where there's no high leg, there's no steps. And again, it's uncoil, it's two guys on one. After you uncoil, run those feet through them to try to create that, that separation that you need. And what typically happens is that you don't get into a really nice fit on the linebacker because you're probably on the ground. You're probably crawling. You're probably, um, you know, engaged in that down lineman, and you're not going to get a really good feel. But if everybody's doing their job and everybody's creating that one-yarded displacement, it becomes really hard for those backers to get in good fits. There's a lot of traffic on their feet. There's a lot of – there's a, again, play the spaghetti. I guess we'll run that phrase into the ground. But, uh, you know, I mean, it is – it is really difficult for those guys to get into a good fit. Sometimes if, if they're, if they're really courageous, they'll jump over to try and make a tackle. But a lot of times there's just too much traffic for them to get there because of the displacement we've done on the, on the down lineman. And we can win to that one yard before they can, but let's say they're a little bit more lateral in the way that they flow. Um, we're again, we're not going to get into a great like drive box fit on them, but what might end up happening is it's just, Hey man, get a hand on them. Just make sure that he takes a step backwards or just make sure he doesn't fit the gap full speed. If you can just punch him, right? If you can just hit his kneecap, you can just hit him in the gut, you know, whatever it takes to keep that guy from getting a full speed, a full speed fit, then you've done your job because that guy's not going to make a tackle in time. Uh, our running back should have enough momentum if that guy's having to sort through all that to, to win the one yard. And so, you know, another thing that's worth talking talking about is the running back like yeah there will typically be an unblocked defender and the running back has got to win right that's his that's his man to win and, and uh, win against and so um you know there's a lot of onus on those guys and, and we do have our you know like by year we will have a short yardage goal line running back that might not be the first team running back you know and so um there's a mentality there that has to exist too that if that guy does kind of get into a gap a, the, the O-linemen need to make sure he's not fitting at full speed. B, if he is there, the running back needs to do, you know, he needs to make his money too. Yeah, that was, I'm glad you brought that up because that was on my list of questions here, the, the running back and coaching him through this, uh, you know, with a, with a lot of, of the plays that we run, uh, regardless of scheme, we talk about, you know, patience to the whole speed through the whole uh, what kinds of things change, if any, as far as the mentality of the back and the, the way he's going to accomplish his goal of getting those yards or getting into the end zone? Yeah, so number one, I mean, he's got to be tough, right? I mean, he's got to be a guy that can win a one-on-one even in a tiny space. So he's got to be a tough guy that will, that will, that will win uh, against a linebacker in a gap. And so I think that's huge strength. Uh, is really, really important. Uh, we will tighten them up. So I talked earlier about not being too concerned about edge pressure. Well, n- part of it's because the plays hit fast. Part of it is because we step the back up in his alignment. So depending, you know, I mean, usually it's at about four or five yards, uh, depending on the guy and how fast he is and how what his acceleration is like. And so, um, you know, and then based on the play, he'll have he'll have his landmark based on the play. 
but we like to use the, the phrase, um, you know, find the first hole in the Swiss cheese. Like, as you take your track, you see the first hole, go freaking take that thing right now and go win that one yard. There is space, take it, right? So when we run power, our, our track isn't going to change. It's going to be A gap to B gap to C gap. And if that A gap has some space right away, go get your butt up in there as fast as you can and get that one yard. Um, you know, sometimes if it's a team that's going to go low and we don't create that initial expansion, he might have to go over the top. And so he's got to be able to, he's got to have a good vertical as well to go over kind of that, that wall of, of humanity that's on the ground. And, uh, you know, it, sometimes the linebackers might try to meet him up top and he's got to have a good feel for how to set those guys up for poor angles and their jumps. And, you know, I might, I might kind of set him up a little wide, get him to jump wide, stick my foot in the ground and, and get downhill inside of him, you know? And so he's at an angle, I'm going straight forward. I'm going to win the one yard. And so uh, it does take a unique feel. So I would, I would say to, you know, tinker with who that person is and get a little feel for what, what they're capable of. Do they understand, uh, do they understand leverage? Do they understand how to be tough? Do they understand how to set up their, you know, their jump if they have to jump? I think those are kind of some of the big keys there. You know, anytime I've looked at. And you know what? Let me tell you this too. Let me hit you with one more thing that sure. I think is really important. Um, you know, talking about, you know, what it looks like, you know, you've got a lot of trust in your old lineman. There's got to be a lot of trust. that Those guys are going to block it the right way. Those guys are going to get hands on defenders as well, because this thing happens so dang fast. And if you're tentative about, about hitting the gap, because there might for that split second look like somebody's unblocked. Well, he's eventually going to get made contact. You know, there's eventually going to be contact on that, on that defender. And so he's got to trust, you know, that, that the O-line is going to do their job, just like the O-line is trusting the running back to hit it in the right place uh, because of how fine-tuned these plays can be and how tight the space is. And we ask our catchphrase is like, I got, I got my man, or I got my man mentality. And so with that mentality comes him trusting, hey, I see this space. The O-line is going to take care of this. Conversely, hey, O-line, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make sure that we're blocking this thing the right way, but the back has got to hit it, you know, A-gap, B-gap, whatever. And so I, I think trust is a huge part of this stuff as well because of, uh, you know, the plate of spaghetti comment. Yeah, absolutely. With um, the, the next question I had, just looking at this from a formation perspective, we're – we're condensing the splits. That means that edges get a little bit shorter. And one of my main concerns in, in coordinating offense, either in, in short yardage goal line or in four-minute types of offense, backed-up types of offense, is that guy who has a short edge can sell out to just try to to beat the running back to the line of scrimmage and you know get, get through there to get a piece of him and knock him down, stop his forward progress, etc., uh, you know the so the flanks and how you handle the flanks are important. Now I know for you guys, you know that's going to be the tight ends, wings, extra people into the game. There, uh, how important is it to think about those kinds of things as you're setting up a package like this? Yeah, I think it's really important. Like you have to protect yourself. So if you want to get into the world of reducing your splits, you know, I mean, you have to or you know, the, the edge defenders being closer to the ball carrier, you know, I mean, they can easily, I mean, even in normal splits on the, you know, if on the backside of power, uh, you know, if the tackle on the backside tackle, if there's a three technique in the B gap, he's going to punch that three technique before he hinges. Well, you know, some teams want to bank on, 
screaming that DN down the heel line of the line of scrimmage and try to make a tackle. And that does work. You know, you know, I mean, it's not, there's, there's a lot of merit in doing it that way. And so, you know, if you do want to reduce your splits, you do have to think about those defenders off the edge. And, you know, like I said, one of the ways we handle it, we close both ends. So we have tight ends on both sides, you know, to create a little extra space yet still allowing us to, um, reduce our splits down we cheat the backups significantly again giving us some time to get that running back into the line of scrimmage faster and then you know I think as you talk about coordinating that's a big part of it too so hey are these people that will do that okay if so we need to have a boot as well off of this or uh you know we need to have a shot off of this thing and you know I mean we have had explosive plays um from teams that are undisciplined defense and so it's not just always calling it a run it's saying like hey Hey, the last time we ran this play, that guy was screaming off the edge. Let's go ahead and get to the boot, right? And then that that sometimes can be a 60-yard play, running it from midfield, you know. So uh, I think I think those are some answers to how you can handle that edge pressure. But it is important. It is really important to account for. Yeah, definitely. And you know, that was kind of my final question here, getting into that, that play action portion of this. certainly works good on a power pass or your, your, your spider two wide banana type plays, especially – yeah, down on the goal line, right? Man coverage. You have this no initial doubt. surge that uh, looks like, man, they are they're coming downhill at us to get the ball to get these last yards, and you do have some opportunities there. So, in terms of, I mean, we know all the different plays and route combinations. I'm not concerned with that, but again, getting into uh, what you're going to do with the offensive line in these situations, down in these coiled stances, what's the approach with? the way that you're going to block these types of plays? So they should look like the run first, right? They should look and feel like the run. Um, We want to suck those safeties down in there. We want to call somebody to be undisciplined because a, again, like I said, the first, one of the first things I said, very unusual to have to go against this type of formation. Right. And so there are, there's already stress of having to get into gaps, having to get into run fits, um, you know, holy, holy heck, there's two tight ends, three running backs back there. You know, two of them are fullbacks. Like, we better go fit this thing really, really fast. And, you know, so we have got to make it feel like the run first. And we have different versions of it, right? We have kind of like a true just gap, like, you know, like you said, the spider two protection where it just looks like a downhill run dive type thing. Uh, we'll have a, you know, we have a protection where we'll pull, you know, we'll pull, the, we actually have two where we'll pull the guards. Uh, and you know, that, that sucks some secondary defenders down in there. And then another thing is like the tight end, you know, that you, that you leak out, you know, he's got to be patient in his release. He's got to be, he's got to make it and look, make it look like, and feel like a run. And so, you know, is, is he kind of, is he kind of half-assing that block? Is he just kind of putting his hands on that defender or is he getting his face mask in there and really trying to drive that guy down before he releases on his route? You know, you'll talk to some people. They'll talk about what side of the hel- the you know what side of the uh, what side of the defender is his head on, right? Like, mm-hmm. is his head down and across? If his head is down and across, safeties feel like it's run. And so, can I get that head across that defender to really make that guy buy in and speak out? You know, I mean, yeah. those are like some of the little intricacies that you can feel. Um, and everybody, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people are, it's in the back of their mind, but the run scares them a lot more because we do that probably 85% of the time. Um, and it's just waiting for that moment where they're being undisciplined and, and you got to be in tune to that, right? So who's your guy that's watching that? Do you have somebody that's watching that? 
uh, on that that can say that over the headset because you know that's important too. Hey, coach, they're being really undisciplined. You know, the safety screaming down to the box, or hey, coach, they're being undisciplined. The D end is screaming down the heel line. Let's get let's get to the boot. Let's get to the spider too. You know, and and so I think those are those are things that you have to be aware for. And I think that that needs to be there needs to be somebody assigned to that so that you can play kind of that chess match that exists in this part of the, in part of the game. So stepping back to your high school days, and I mean, you guys had some really good personnel there at, uh, at Catholic high school. Uh, but you know, any, anywhere you go, it's all relative, uh, to find the guys to fit into this package, especially if you're a spread team that will jump into this. And I, I've, I have seen spread teams be able to do this. And I know, uh, even when we would do some things with uh, with with multiple tight end fullback type of personnel when I was at the Division three level, I was looking to borrow some guys from the defense, right? Some bigger defensive ends, linebackers, mm-hmm. etc., uh, to be able to 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 be physical down here. So, uh, and we you know felt good maybe about six linemen, so it wasn't necessarily like we were you know looking to put extra linemen in the game. You want your best personnel in these situations uh, for a team. Maybe that doesn't have that. You know, they might be an eleven personnel team. They don't have multiple tight ends. But looking to use this package, how do you get creative with personnel? Yeah, I think I think you're exactly right. There are some team. There's a team in our conference uh, that is a. I would I would argue, you know, pseudo air raid team that actually gets into similar formations as we do in these short yardage and goal line situations. And so. Um, there are ways to do it. You know, I think uh, you got to be creative. Uh, you know, I, we don't have a fullback. What do we do? Well, you can use a tight end. Do you have a really tough tight end? Uh, do you have another lineman that you want to put in? So one of the really cool things that I think that we put into this thought process is what a great opportunity to get some young linemen, some game experience. And so we might throw one of those guys in as a tight end. Uh, you know, last year I have a, I had a walk-on guard that won the starting fullback job in short yardage goal line because he was that good. He's a little shorter, you know, and he was able to create that expansion and he carved out a role for himself. And, and it's, it's, we're going to find the best guys to do it because we, again, we believe it's that important. And so you do have to get creative. We've used defensive guys before to come over and play those fullback spots. You know, the five up front linemen, those tend to be linemen bodies, you know, but the tight end fullbacks, those things are a little adjustable. Uh, in terms of who we use. Now, we're fortunate here to have some really tough, nasty tight ends. And so, um, you know, we those guys are certainly uh, prominent in the rotation. Um, but again, as you get into the fullbacks, like, like, here's the first question you ask yourself, who's tough, right? Who who do you want to, who's going to be go go to war for that one yard? And so, if you have a guy that will do that, then that's probably a good place to start, whether it's an O-lineman, a D-lineman, a tight end, uh, you know, maybe even a thicker receiver at times. And, and uh, you know, I think, I think you just have to be creative in it and you don't, don't pigeonhole yourself into, you know, one position group, expand, see who is a lot about want to, you know, like I just said, that, 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 that guard that we used as a um, walk on guard as we, that we use as a fullback, you know, he's a shorter fella. He's probably not going to be the best, you know, pass protector in the world, but gosh, damn, he could be a nasty fullback in short yardage and goal line. And so he was a starter because of that, which is really cool for that kid. And it's a really neat experience. And, uh, you know, there are other formations that we use where I have, you know, like my six man is going to be the wing, you know, we'll use him as a wing. We'll use another tight tackle as a tight end. And, 
it's it's all a it's really cool to get those guys playing time um at a young age because of these things yeah. you know if they have the desire and the want to you can do this stuff absolutely well coach some incredible detail that you shared with us here today i appreciate you taking time out of your day again to spend time with us here on the podcast and give us some of the details of your unique short yardage and goal line package I appreciate it, Coach. It's uh, it was fun as always, and, and thank you for having me back. Uh, you know, I think this is a really awesome thing that you're doing, and I think it, I hope it makes a difference for some people in the way that they are able to coach and, and getting some information out there. So, had a lot of fun. Coaches, thanks again for joining us on All In on Offense. Look for our Deep Dive on Defense series as well, which is back here May all the way till August. And follow all we do at coachingcoordinator.com. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski.